you. Appreciate Brother Tim expressing the thoughts that was on his mind this morning. Um, the great I am, that's who God is. That's who he told Moses to tell the people of uh, Israel that has sent them. You tell them that I am that I am. And you notice the difference between that expression and Paul's. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am, but Jesus is the I am that I am. And because he is I am that I am, we can always, all of us can say, by the grace of God, we are what we are, just like the Apostle Paul. I appreciate those comments very much. Uh, this morning, I'd like to begin in Psalms 110, verse 3. Um, last week, I spoke to you from Psalms 61, uh, where the apostle, excuse me, where the psalmist uh, brought forth a great truth concerning God when he said, for all power or power belongeth unto God. He said that once, he said it twice. And uh, I haven't been able to kind of get away from that, that subject uh, this morning. I had a lot of other things throughout the week that uh, kind of circulated through my head. Uh, but this morning, uh, that seems to be what is impressing upon my mind the most. So I'd like to begin in Psalms 110, verse 3, where the psalmist says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. When you see the expression, thy people, it means exactly what it says. It means God has a people. And we could trace that all the way through the scripture, but uh, we know that God has a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. A people that he foreknew before time ever began, chose him unconditionally, and gave him to his son in a covenant relationship. And so sometimes in the Bible, his family is referred to as the church. Sometimes his family is referred to as his people. Just like Matthew 1, he shall save his people from their sins. Here the psalmist says, thy people. The people in consideration is the same in all the expressions I've already given you and several others. But thy people shall be willing, when? In the day of God's power. Now, by nature, the Lord's people are just like everybody else. They're very unwilling. We have the same nature of the wicked, the evil, and the non-elect. When you come to Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Wherefore, in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We were by nature just like they were. Our human nature is no different. The human nature of one human is just like the human nature of another human. And before being born of the Spirit of God, your nature is just exactly like that of the wicked. So it takes a power to change that, to make an individual indeed willing to worship God, willing to serve God. You can search the world over, you can search the universe over, and you will not find that power. That power does not exist outside and apart from heaven, outside and apart from God himself. That power belongs to God. So it's when God borns one of the Spirit of God that makes the person then willing. Jesus made it clear in speaking to the Jewish people. He says, you will not come to me. They were very unwilling. You have a very unwilling nature even today in your human nature. That was not done away with in the work of the new birth. You have a divine nature now to go with that human nature, and that sets up the great conflict and the warfare that we find taught in the Word of God. But this verse is not addressed to the world in general. It's addressed to the people of God, the children of God. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Over in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul said that God hath translated us 
from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, darkness has a power. Satan has power. But God's power is superior. We tried to make that clear last Sunday. All the way through the scriptures, see that God's power is superior to that of the devil. The apostle John said, he that's in you is greater than he that's, uh, you know, in the world. We know that Satan is more powerful than we are apart from God, but God is the supreme power. He has all power. And so here we find where Paul says God has translated us from the power of darkness. And make no, uh, understand this clearly. Uh, before being born of the Spirit of God, you are not just in darkness, you are darkness itself. Ephesians 5, 8, the Apostle Paul said, And you which were sometimes darkness are now made light in the Lord. Now what has more power, light or darkness? You're in a dark room, you can't see anything, and you turn on the light. Is there going to be a, a battle between light and darkness? Which one's going to prevail? Is there? Or is light going to prevail? If you turn on the light, light's going to prevail, right? Light is going to push darkness out of the room, and you're going to have light. That's why you read in John chapter 1 about Jesus Christ being the light, capital L. The light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not, recognized it not. So you've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. There's a greater power than the power of darkness, you see. Now, when something's translated, uh, what is being translated is passive in the work. We talk oftentimes about the Bible being, you know, a translation. And the original language of Hebrew and Greek were translated into other different languages. We have it in the English language today. But the scriptures did not translate themselves. The scriptures were translated. They were passive in the work. And that's one of the expressions concerning the new birth that teaches the lesson that in the work of the new birth, God is active and the sinner is passive. He hath translated us out of the power, from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, all the way through the Gospels, you find the word power just popping up here and there as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look in the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Paul is speaking here, to, uh, Peter speaking here rather to Cornelius. And he says that God anointed his son Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power. When Christ arrived in this world, he arrived with all the power of heaven, my friends. The word power sometimes means might, sometimes it means authority. So he was anointed with the Holy Ghost. He was anointed with power. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus Christ preached to his disciples, he comes to a, uh, there in John chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, where he's going to teach us the model prayer. And I want you to notice how this model prayer ends. But I'm going to go through it briefly, but notice how it ends. He said, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven. First of all, you're recognizing as you pray to God, you're actually praying to your Father. Your Father's in heaven. If your Father's in heaven, then you're his child here on the earth. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy name is hallowed. Thy name is holy. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is, I shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that's done all the time out here in society. You should never use God's name unless you use it properly and with God's permission, you might say, and with authority. He says, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You recognize that the Lord has a kingdom. He says, thy kingdom come. You're asking the Lord here to give a manifestation of that kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. 
God has a will. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is God's will carried out in heaven? I'd say it's carried out in total perfection. God's will in heaven is carried out by the angels in glory. It's carried out by the souls and spirits of the departed saints of God. Now, there's no disruption of God's will in heaven, I can assure you that. And that should be our prayer that His will on earth be carried out just like it is in heaven. How wonderful it be on this earth if God's will was being carried out. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's a recognition of where your blessings come from. It comes from God. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. When it comes to the subject of forgiveness, it's a two-sided coin. All the way through life, there's going to be times that you need to ask for forgiveness. There's going to be times when people ask you for your forgiveness. You need to learn how to forgive. Because based on how you forgive is how God is going to forgive you. Notice the writing here again. Forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. If you're not willing to forgive those who trespassed against you, then you're asking the Lord to forgive you in like manner. That means you're not going to get forgiveness of your sins. Okay? Forgive us for our trespasses, we those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, that is, into trials, but deliver us from evil. For thine, here it is, for thine is the power and the glory forever. Now notice there's a recognition of God's power in closing out that model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. Three things, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So we need to, be, we need to understand the importance of God's power. We just saw how it takes God's power to deliver us from the power of darkness as he translates us to the kingdom of his dear son. When it comes to the eternal security of the saints of God, God's power is involved. We read in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 where the apostle Peter identifies himself as the apostle uh, to the saints you know, who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us it says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and forgotten us into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, is it to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Notice, you have an inheritance that's reserved for you. Are you going to come into full possession of it one day? I'd say you are. According to this verse here, he says that inheritance is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It fades not away. Uh, see how it's described, unlike earthly inheritances. This one here is not defiled, it's undefiled. This one here is not corrupt, it's incorrupt. This one here will not fade away. We find oftentimes people come into an inheritance, it fades away quickly. Those who win the lottery, how long do they keep it? Normally, statistically, take a look at it. <laughs> Doesn't last long, it seems like, right? Easy come, easy go becomes the mindset of most people like that. But here's an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that fades not away. It's reserved in a place called heaven. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. That's how it's kept. That's why the Lord in Matthew 25, when the writer tells about the Lord coming as a king in his glory, 
He be like a shepherd, divide his sheep from the goats, put his sheep on the right hand, but the goats over here on the left. They'll say to the sheep on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. A kingdom prepared, an inheritance that's reserved for a people, my friends, that was prepared before time ever began. So our eternal security, our preservation, is based upon the power of God being kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the last verse of 1 Peter 2, it'll be verse 25. He says, For ye have gone like sheep have gone astray, but now have been returned unto the bishop and uh, and to the bishop of your uh, bishop and shepherd of your souls. The word shepherd there means keeper of the word bishop means uh, that you're preserved in. He said, You've been returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You're, you're secure in him. You're kept again by the, by the power of God. Now, the Savior mentioned his power on a number of occasions. When he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, he begins his prayer like this. He said, Father, glorify thy Son, he might also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. Then he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given unto him. Now, we can read this prayer sometimes so quickly we overlook some of these expressions. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. That means Christ reigns supreme. And because of that, he says, he shall give eternal life to as many as thou hast given unto him. In John 10 and 18, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have power to lay down my life, I have power to take it again. No man taketh it from me. Nobody else has ever been able to say that in the history of mankind, that they have power to lay their life down and power to take it again. But Jesus did because he does. And we see it demonstrated. He laid it down on Calvary. When he just bowed his head and gave up the ghost, said it is finished. They take him down, put him in a barred tomb. Three days and three nights later, he's resurrected. He resurrects himself from the power of the grave. He had power to lay it down. He had power to take it again. He has all power in heaven and earth. And then he gives his apostles a commission. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, he tells them, All power is given unto me both in heaven and earth. Go ye and teach all nations. Why was it so important for them to understand that? Because what lay in front of them was most challenging. What lay in front of them was a commission that was far wider and greater than the previous commission the Lord had given them back in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, the Lord has chosen his 12 apostles. And notice here, he says he gave them power. This man who has all power in heaven and earth gave them power. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. He gave, gave them power over the devils themselves. He gave them power to uh, cure sicknesses and afflictions, etc., etc. They didn't have the power within themselves. He gave them the power. That's why the apostle Peter later in the book of Acts after the Lord blessed him to exercise that power, he said, why you look upon me as if this power was my own? It wasn't his own power. He wanted to make sure they understood that. All right? So the Lord gave them this power, and then he tells them that first commission, he says, you go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do not go to the Gentiles. Do not go to the way of the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. God restricts them of where they can go. If the gospel is essential for eternal salvation, the Lord just called out, whole group of people. He called out the Gentiles and called out the Samaritans. He said, right now you go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel 
But now in Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and before he ascends into glory, he gives one final message to those apostles, and he tells them, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Now go and teach all nations. You're not restricted anymore. You can preach to the Jews, you can preach to the Gentiles, you can preach to the Samaritans. In Luke chapter 24, before the Lord ascended on high, his disciples uh, asked him some questions about the kingdom. You find this also in Acts chapter 1. And the Lord told them to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. What, they, what lay in front of them was not going to be possible unless they had that power that God only could give them. You tarry at Jerusalem, you stay right here at Jerusalem. Sometimes you just stay right where you're at till you have clear, uh, clear indication of what you need to do and where you need to go. You stay at Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And then he says... For the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and give you that power. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the most parts of the earth. You start reading the book of Acts, you're going to find exactly that took place. You're going to find where they were witnesses, first of all, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And then you're going to find they go into Samaria. Then you're going to find from there they go to the uttermost parts of the earth. They're going to do exactly what the Lord said. They was going to stay at, tear there at Jerusalem to the being doomed with power from on high. The power came from God. They were not going to be able to accomplish their goal, not going to be able to accomplish the commission of Christ, not going to be able to accomplish what lay before them separate and apart from the power that the Lord is talking about here. One of my favorite verses in the book of Acts is Acts 4 and 33. You know, I mentioned not too long ago that this is one of my favorite verses. I gave this one of my favorite verses. And I made the comment that over time, I guess somebody thinks, well, Brother Lawrence, the entire Bible contains all your favorite verses. But then somebody told me, I think it was Mark, he said, well, I know one place that you won't claim to be your favorite verse. That's in 1 Chronicles. <laughs> well, you're right about that. And there are several in Leviticus, there are several in Numbers, there are several in Ezekiel. I can give you a whole lot of them that's not my favorite verse. <laughs> but this is one of them here. The apostles go out. I want you to notice in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, that's what's called Acts, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Apostles, that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended. He went right up on high, displaying his power. He defied the power of gravity. He overcame that. Gravity didn't hold Christ down. He just ascended right into glory. Mark says he was carried up. Luke says he was received up. And Luke in Acts says he was taken up. He ascended into heaven. When he went into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, and then the apostles went out. And the apostles went out under the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit of God. They had to have the power that Jesus Christ possessed that he was going to give them to be able to accomplish the commission that lay before them. So in Acts 4 and 33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Great power and great grace. What a great combination. <laughs> what a wonderful combination that is. To have great power and great grace. And great grace was upon them all. That means it was on the, on the apostles in there preaching their ministry, but it was also on the hearers. I left the coach at the house of God, and God be pleased to pour out a blessing upon us. Then God would bless me to be able to speak, and bless you to be able to hear, and bless you to be able to understand. And we can leave the house of God that day and say that there was great power there that day. And there was great grace. It takes the grace of God to preach the gospel in Jesus Christ, but it takes the grace of God to hear it and to understand it. Those apostles went out. 
Their main theme, as you trace it through the book of Acts, was the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It said, with great power, they gave testimony, they were witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There are certain situations where you need a greater measure of grace than you might need in others in life. We need God's grace every single day that we live. Make no uh, mistake about it. Don't ever think you don't need God's grace on a daily basis because you do. You certainly do. But there's sometimes we need greater grace than others. I'd say right now we're going through a period of time. You know, in our country and in our church is affected by it. That we need God's great grace to help us along the journey, Right? In God's great grace. We need to understand the very breath of life we have is by the grace of God. And I enjoy reading in the Old Testament men who lived a long time on this earth who didn't lose sight of that fact. You take Jacob, for example, and he's before Pharaoh. You know one of the first things he tells him? He says, God who fed me all the days of my life. He's well over 100 years of age. He's about 137, I think, at this time. He said, God had fed me all the days of my life. He didn't lose sight of the fact that every meal he had ever consumed here on this earth is because God had provided for him. Now, I love the words of Caleb found in Joshua chapter 14. He's 85 years old. And he references a time when he was 40 years old. When he was 40 years old, he went along with his companion Joshua into the land of Canaan to spy it out along with 10 other spies, 12 in all. And they came back. And ten of those spies gave an evil report saying, we be not able to take the cities because they say saw great walled cities and giants. But Caleb spoke up and still the people. That means he told them, be quiet a minute. He says, we be well able to take the land. Let us go up and take the land. No, it's not just go across, but let us go up. And because of his bravery and his courage and his stand for God, Moses promised him a mountain once they conquered the land of Canaan that he would give him for an inheritance, and Caleb didn't forget about it. It's 45 years down the road. He's 85 years old. This is his birthday. You know what he wants for his birthday present? He wants a mountain called Hebron where he can have fellowship with God, and there are giants on that mountain. Caleb didn't just choose one that was uninhabited. He chose one that was inhabited by giants that put the fright, my friends, to the hearts of those other ten spies. But here's what he said. He said, God who kept me alive all these years. God who kept me alive all these years. He's 85. He has not lost sight of the fact that for 85 years on this earth, he was still alive, but God's the one who had kept him alive. He believed in the providence of God. I believe in the providence of God. I know without a shadow of a doubt this morning, without the providence of God, I'd have left this world a long time ago. I can give you particular instances, specific uh, circumstances, where I'd have left this world a long time ago had not God kept me alive. And I don't know the number of times God's spared me. And I don't even know anything about it. Don't even know anything about it. But Caleb said, God, who kept me alive all these years. Then he says, I want this mountain. I remember the words of Moses. I'm claiming my inheritance in Hebron, and I want it. And six times this is said about Caleb. Then he wholly followed the Lord. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y. He wholly followed the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul. 
He was courageous at 40. He was courageous at 85. And he says, as my strength was then, so is my strength now to go out for war. Now, I'm going to tell you something. From a physical point of view, I don't think that was true. Might have been. But I've been 40, but I have not been 85. And I got a good long ways to get there. All right. But I am on down the road from 40 a little bit. I'm still in the category of the young. I've not crossed that threshold in the category of the elderly yet, although I do have my AARP card. But you get that at 55. But anyway, I actually tore that up not long ago. Anyway, I don't think I have to show him that card anymore. <laughs> my, my son-in-law, when he was here before Bobby, we went and got something at Captain D's after lunch on Sunday, and they gave him a senior citizen discount. We ain't let him forget it yet. And he ain't even 50 yet. <laughs> he didn't turn it down. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he said, if the Lord will fight for me. Now, I don't have the strength today that I had when I was 40. I will admit that. Okay? But I believe I have as much strength today spiritually as I had years ago. I believe the Lord has still given me the strength I need today in body and mind to be able to do what he would have me to do just as strong as I was when I was 40 years of age. That's what Caleb is saying. He says, by the strength I had then, he said, I got the strength now. He said, I'm going to go out and I want that mountain and there are the Anakims on that mountain. There's those giants on that mountain that put the fright uh, you know, uh, that's in the hearts of those ten spies. He said, that's okay, because God kept me alive all these years. If God will help me, I can take this mountain. Now, the apostles, with great power, gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. That's a great combination, great power and great grace. The apostle Paul made this statement in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, wherefore I was made an apostle by the gift of the grace of God which was given to me according to the working of his mighty power. He said, I'm an apostle, but I was made a minister. He said, I was made a minister by the effectual call of his power. For a man to be able to preach the gospel, he has to have a call from heaven. He has to have a call from God. That's not just something we say. That's a literal fact. There's a lot of difference in just giving a talk and preaching the gospel. There's a lot of difference, my friends, in giving a, a, a lecture and preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is public speaking, but all public speaking is preaching the gospel. I can assure you that now. What does it take to preach the gospel? It takes a man that's been called by the power of God to begin with. Everything about the Lord's church, everything about the Lord's kingdom is associated with the power of God. Don't ever forget that. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Notice what he has not given us and three things he has given us. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Remember that. Fear doesn't come from God. Fear comes from man. God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power. What does that word power really mean? I mean, God gives you something that you don't have within your own self, separate apart from him. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power 
and love and of a sound mind. I think you see that illustrated in the wild Gadarean. Remember who the wild Gadarean was? He was that man, uh, you know, that dwelt among the tombs. And they tried to tame him. They put fetters around him, put chains around him. They tried to bind him, and, and they couldn't do it. He'd just break them asunder. I mean, they didn't know what to do with him. And then the Lord come along. And my Bible says, you know, this man was without any clothes, living among the dead. He certainly didn't have a sound mind, did he? But then he comes along, and the Lord meets him. And one encounter with the Lord changed this man's life forever. The power of God is certainly on display in this example right here. The Lord tamed him. The Lord cast the devils out of him. His name was called Legion, which means many devils. He was, they were all cast out. He fell then at Jesus' feet and wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says then he clothed himself and he had a, a right mind. God clothed him. God gave him a sound mind. The Lord, that's what the Lord gives you. The Lord gives you a mind to recognize his power. The Lord gives you a mind to recognize the power that arrested you and took care of you and delivered you just like he did the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. When Paul was Saul of Tarsus, he was on that Damascus road with less authority to bind God's people and bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison, right? But something got a hold of Saul. What was it? It was the power of God. At noonday, some was at its brightest. The apostle Paul, again, Saul of Tarsus, is struck down into the dust of the earth. He was a persecutor of the Lord's church. He was an enemy of the Lord's church. He's now going to become the greatest friend the Lord's church has ever had. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Here God's power is on display as they arrested the apostle Paul on, his road, on the road to Damascus. Paul, when he was Saul, heard the great testimony of Stephen didn't move him one bit. Because at that time, he didn't have a heart for it. But God gave him that heart that he stood in need of, you see. All right, the apostle Paul said, Wherefore I was made a minister by the gift of the grace of God, giving me the effectual work of his power. He said, Unto me uh, is this grace given, thou might, uh, thou might uh, make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He said, grace called me as an, as an apostle, and grace has been given unto me that I might minister unto those. You know that God opens up the door of opportunity for me to preach the gospel to. Now, let's go over here to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 just for a moment. And you'll find in verse, uh, verse 5 where Paul says, For our gospel came not to you in word only, but it came in power. It came in the Holy Ghost. And it came in much assurance. Here's one way it didn't come, three ways it did come. It came not in word only. It came in the word. You can't preach the gospel without preaching the word. It came in the word, but not just in the word only. It came in power. When the gospel was preached, Paul could see it having an impact in the minds and hearts of those that was listening to him. He could see a change. The gospel calls upon you to make a change in your life. The gospel calls upon you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ here in this world. The gospel calls upon you to come out from among the world and be part of a separate people. We're in the world. We should not be of the world. The gospel calls for change. 
And Paul said, our gospel came not in word only, but it came in power. It came in the Holy Ghost. And it came in assurance. You know, assurance is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? Don't you like to feel, uh, the, feel the assurance uh, of the presence of God? I like to come to the house of God for various reasons, but you know when I leave, I'm more assured than I was before I got there. Being out in this world out here can do something to your assurance. <laughs> but when I come to the house of God, once again, I'm assured of the compassion of Christ. I'm assured of the electing love of Jesus. I'm assured, my friends, of the victory that Jesus acquired and obtained over death, hell, sin, and the grave. I'm assured that while I may face death in this world, uh, at some time after that, my body will hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come out of there and be reunited in my soul and spirit and taken home to glory. I have the reassurance of that. I need that on a regular basis. What about you? You need that assurance? <laughs> Karen's blessed. I mean, God has blessed Karen and I to live for 52 years together. And we're always getting, trying to assure one another how much we love each other. You say, well, aren't you convinced by now, Brother Lawrence? <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm well convinced, but I tell you what, I still do not get tired of her saying, I love you. <laughs> she gave me a birthday card yesterday, and, uh, and I enjoyed reading it. Uh, she told me uh, things I already knew, <laughs> but I tell you, it just made me feel good. Made me feel good to read those words one more time about how much she loved me. And uh, I try to tell her I love her every single day. I want her to be assured. I don't want her to have any doubts whatsoever that I do not love her with all my heart. And I like her to tell me the same thing. I never get tired of it. Somebody says, Brother Lawrence, isn't that old hat? No, my friends, it is not. She can't tell me enough times to be an old hat. And I like coming to the house of God for that assurance. And when God is present, his power is there in the preaching of the proclamation of the gospel in Jesus Christ, I feel assured one more time that I'm his child. I feel assured one more time I belong to him. I feel assured one more time that when I pray, I can say, My Father that art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I want the gospel to go out in this place, not in word only, but I want it to go out in power of the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Corinthians were a divided lot, as you read there in chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. And they had some of the most marvelous gifts, some of the greatest gifts God has ever given to his church right here on this earth. He says, some say you're a Cephas, that's, Christ, that's Peter. Some say you're Apollos, he was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Some say the art of Paul, and some say the art of Christ. They were divided. Paul asking this question, was Christ divided for you? Answer is no. Was Paul baptized for you? The answer was no. You don't divide yourself on the gifts that God has given unto the church. You need to understand we're one in Jesus Christ, united in the Savior. And so he had to straighten that out. Then there were those who were falling after the wisdom of the world here. And he had to straighten all that out. And he says, you know, while the Jews seek after a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom... We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, uh, you know, uh, Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks is foolishness. But those which are called, we preach unto them Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It takes the power of God to preach about God's power. <laughs> it takes the power of God to preach to the Lord's people about God's power in creation, God's power in providence, and God's power in salvation. 
It takes the power of God to do that. And when you can feel your heart uh, jumping for joy, when you can feel your soul has been strengthened, your soul has been edified, and you feel that your soul uh, has been built up with the most holy faith, my friends, then you know that you've experienced something called the power of God. I went to a meeting one time, and they put up a couple of preachers on Friday night. It was so dry, I'm glad nobody didn't strike a match. Next morning, a good preacher friend of mine come in and sat down beside me. He says, uh, he said, who preached last night? I said, nobody. <laughs> that's, that's a bad situation to be in. <laughs> I wish I could give him a different report. I, I know the difference, brother, uh, between you when you got the power and you don't. And so our gospel came not in power only. I mean, word only, but came in power of the Holy Ghost and much assurance. Then he comes, drops down there in chapter 2. And he says, my preaching and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. In demonstration, what? Of the spirit and of power. The apostle Paul didn't give a performance. The apostle Paul gave a demonstration. Some men think the pulpit's a place for performance. Well, it's not. It's not a place to entertain. It's a place to present the Word of God in all seriousness, my friends. And so we need to recognize how important the power of God is in our worship service, in our service to Him. How wonderful and how great the power of God is and the great necessity in our efforts to serve Him here in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're talking about only power that God can give. God calls men by his power. God gives them power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes to the Lord's people in power. When you leave the house of God and you can feel that the Lord has been here this day, that's because his power is inside of you. Look at Ephesians 1.19 briefly. Paul asked this question. He says, what is exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the mighty power of God, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's telling you right there, the very power that God exercised in raising his son from the dead is the very power that exists in your heart and your soul that enables you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Why are you here this morning? Something made you willing to be here this morning. <laughs> I'm not telling you that God picked you up and put you here in the pew. I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you, if God had not arrested you in times past and changed your nature, my friends, and gave you a heart uh, to believe in Him and a heart to love Him and a heart to serve Him and has given you strength along life's pathway, you would not be here this morning. You, some people drove a long ways to be here this morning. Some have driven well over an hour to be here. Some have driven five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it might be, but an effort had to be made to get to the house of God. You have a love for Jesus. You have a love for the family of God. You have a love for the people of God. And you came here this morning to serve the true and living God. You came here hoping that God would bless with his presence the very power of the Holy Spirit will be present here in the service today. I trust that you did that. I trust that you did that. Paul said, My preaching and my teaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and with power. He said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
in closing this morning. I want your faith to stand in the power of God today. I want you to understand that God is just as omnipotent today as he's ever been. I want you to know when God created the heaven and the earth and displayed his great power in creation, when he created the heaven and the earth, he was just as powerful as he was before he ever started the work. Now, that's not the way it is with me. If I get out and work in the yard, one thing or another, I might start out feeling pretty strong. And when it's all said and done, I come, uh, you know, I bounce out of the house to go to work and I drag myself back in. I done got myself wore out. Then got myself all worn down one thing and another. But I'm telling you, that's not the way it is with God. God has never lost any of his power since he uh, uh, began doing all this great work. And God has power to give, my friends. He has power to give his saints here in this world to face the challenges of life. He has the power to give you the courage. He has the power to give you uh, uh, whatever you stand in need of to guide you and direct you to hold you up and face the challenges of another day. I know you believe that. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would to believe according to the work of his mighty power when he raised his son from the dead? His exceeding great power abides in each and every single one of you today. And when you leave this place and you feel like the word of God came forth not in word only, in power of the Holy Ghost and much assurance, you just thank Almighty God and say, Lord, if it be thy will, bless me to get back there next Sunday. Lord, if it be thy will, bless this to be a place of testimony and witness until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where the Lord's people can have a refuge and found a sanctuary to come out from the walks of life and the, and the dangers and, the, and all the adversarial things that come our way down you know, on a daily basis out here. I want you to know God has not given you the spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I guess if this sermon seemed a little disorganized this morning, it's because it was. But anyway, I hope the Lord bless part of it at least to help you, to feed you, to strengthen you. You know, the Lord told Peter, feed my lambs and feed my sheep. The Lord's family is just like sheep. They come to the house of God. They need feeding. I don't know of a better, better uh, a thing to feed God's people with than the attributes of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and what he accomplished for his people here in this world to give us hope, to encourage us, and to give us the strength we need to face again the challenges. And brother, we have challenges today, but Almighty God is quite capable. He's able to do that. I will close with Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us.